Greetings again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of OSI Today, the podcast featuring news and views from around the Office of Special Investigations. I'm Wayne Amon from OSI Public Affairs, and in this edition, we continue our special series, My OSI Journey, which showcases the diversity and inclusion of our command-wide members. And today, I'm really pleased to be joined by the commander of the 1st Field Investigation Squadron at Quantico, Virginia, Lieutenant Colonel Jose Marin. Sir, welcome aboard to the program. Uh, Great to have you with us, and good to talk to you again. Good morning, Wayne. Thank you for having me. Now, uh, in checking out your bio, uh, uh, I noticed uh, one thing that really jumped out at me was that uh, uh, you're a, uh, you got a, a, batch, a Bachelor of Science degree from Texas A&M University there in uh, College, College Station. And that's, that was uh, going to be my first question to you, sir. Uh, having lived in the state of Texas, not too far from College Station myself uh, in San Antonio for about 20 years, Whenever uh, Texas A&M football was on TV, they always have a shot of the Corps of Cadets, you know, one of the, the staunchest supporters of that university. And I was just curious, uh, having gone to that university uh, with the Corps of Cadets there, have you had it? Were you a Corps of Cadet, uh, a cadet in that uh, uh, organization by any chance or had any uh, dealings with the Corps of Cadets there? I sure was, Wayne. One of my uh, most memorable experiences I was being part of the Corps of Cadets. Uh, wow. So I was the first in my family to go to college, um, let alone graduate high school. Um, and Texas A&M and the Corps of Cadets is, 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 uh, is what drew me in and in wow. large part a reason of, of why I'm here uh, today. Wow. Very, very good. Uh, that must have been quite an experience. Uh, just out of curiosity, how big is the, the Corps of Cadets? Uh, is, there, is there a limit as to how many they can have in that uh, organization? So there isn't a limit uh, on, you know, when the school started um, in 1876, it used to be an all-male military school. Uh-huh. Um, and today it's not a, an all-male military school. Obviously, the Corps of Cadets is roughly, I think the last time I looked, somewhere a little bit over 2,500 students or so. Wow, wow. Uh, but a lot of the traditions uh, of the school and the spirit of what the school stands for is kept by these cadets. Uh-huh. Uh, and then what was interesting to me and what drew me to it is just the tradition and the family environment that it has. Right. Um, and the fact that the Corps of Cadets is comprised of not just one ROTC, um, like most other schools um, right. or academies, right? It's got Army, Air Force, Marine Corps, uh, Navy. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's got all of the uh, the ROTCs um, in it. And it, uh, it really did form me into the person uh, that I am today. And I bleed maroon. Uh, I am Aggie <laughs> to the core. And I am, uh, anybody that knows me uh, knows that I'm a, I'm a proud Aggie. There you go. Very good. Uh, spoken, like, spoken like a true Texas A&M alum. No doubt about that. <laughs> uh, now, sir, for our uh, listeners who may not be familiar with uh, OSI, let's get into your uh, uh, present job just a little bit, if we can. Uh, what are your responsibilities as the uh, commander of the 1st Field and get Investigation Squadron? What do you do uh, when you go to work? Uh, well, I, when I go to work, I uh, make a lot of phone calls and do a lot of emails. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like a lot of us but, do. <laughs> uh, like most of us. Uh, but no, so the First Field Investigation Squadron, we are a squadron under the OSI Center uh, responsible for our protective service operations in support uh-huh. of um, the Air Force's top three senior leaders and four combatant commanders. Uh-huh. Um, we also have uh, lead the command's anti-terrorism specialty teams, uh, or AST, right. uh, which is responsible for providing uh, agile and uh, combat-ready counterintelligence forces uh, anywhere in the globe. 
Um, And so those are our two primary mission sets. We do that from about 10 geographically separated units across the globe. Uh Um, And here, by the end of the year, we'll roughly have an end strength of about 122, 123 people. Um, And then our staff, uh, our staff headquarters is headquartered out of um, the RKB here in Quantico, Virginia. Right. And of course, there's the Russell Knox building at, uh, at Quantico. Right. Uh, right. Now, now, sir, uh, uh, I know uh, we had talked before on, on another podcast um, uh, dealing with the first fizz and um, uh, you uh, work very closely with uh, our uh, uh, Air Force defenders as well as uh, special agents. Uh, how does that uh, how does that, that that dynamic really play out? It, may, it makes a good uh, uh, symbiotic relationship, if you will, uh, you know, from what we discussed about it before. It really works for you folks. Yeah, it really does. You know, and that's uh, we've always had a, a really strong partnership with uh, our security forces throughout OSI, right? Whether it's our joint drug enforcement teams um, or our joint sexual assault teams, uh, we've always had a, or are in a deployed in, in environment, um, our tactical security elements. We've always had a really close working uh, partnership, uh, if not, you know, brotherhood and sisterhood, if you will, with our defenders. Right. Um, what makes our, our protective uh, service operations a little bit unique is in uh, first of its kind. You know, it's a, usually uh, the defenders that we partner with are detailed over to us. Right. right. Um, and they still belong to security forces. So for the first time uh, that I'm aware of in our history, we actually have embedded with us security forces defenders that are on our manning documents they're osi owned uh-huh. uh you know three papa the af uh, the specialty duty code for our right. defenders that are on our books and so where traditionally we've really historically i should say relied uh on our defenders to help us with vehicles and driving and, and some of the logistics parts of our protected mission right. today you can put a, a a security forces defender and an agent side by side in the protection mission um, and you can't tell, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. They're able to uh, really plug and play uh, and interoperate with all of our teams, which has uh-huh. been absolutely uh, phenomenal um, to the point where for the first time we have uh, security forces, senior master sergeant as a sitting squadron superintendent of an OSI unit. We also have a security forces defender who is a sitting superintendent of one of our detachments. Um, oh. out here in the national capital region. So really excited to partner with our defenders um, and have them part of our, of the team. Well, it sounds like, uh, you know, both elements are really attached at the hip and it's been uh, uh, a great uh, relationship uh, for both sides. No, it really does. Right. And on the topic of diversity and inclusion, um, it just adds more to that mix, right? We have yeah. an opportunity to bring folks with a different mindset, then maybe, uh, you know, OSI agents have grown up with um, a diverse pool of folks to really pull from and to bring into the mix. Um, so all in all, uh, I am really excited to continue that relationship. And I think that what they bring to the fight is absolutely invaluable as we work and find ways to continue to protect our senior leaders. Very well said. Now, let's get into uh, the, uh, the little dossier of uh, Jose Marin a little bit, if we can, please, sir. Uh, when and how did you become interested in law enforcement and then subsequently uh, the Office of Special Investigations? That's actually an interesting story, Wayne, because, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I've done a lot of recruiting uh, throughout my years and, and I've had the opportunity to hire a lot of folks into OSI. 
And, uh, you know, there, there are a lot of folks who this is what they want to do. They've wanted to do their entire life, right? They, right. They've known that I wanted, they wanted to be in law enforcement or they wanted to be a cop. Uh, some folks that I've talked to, they joined the Air Force and said, hey, I joined the Air Force only to do OSI. I went to go do this other stuff because I can't come right into OSI um, right. because at least in our enlisted force, you know, we recruit from other career fields uh-huh. within uh, the department. But that's not the case for me. Um, you know, yeah, growing up, I, I never had a desire to be a cop, to be honest with you, you know, um, uh, I grew up in the inner cities of Miami, uh, and cities like Opelika and Carroll city and and North Miami. Right. Um, and and if anybody is listening, is familiar with those cities, they, they, they know what I mean. Okay. You know, and where I grew up, you know, the, the relationship between law enforcement and the local community, was strained to say sure, the least. Sure. And so it's not something that I necessarily ever really aspired or had a desire, right. To, to wear a badge. Right. Um, and, but I always had a passion for helping others in, and for making a positive impact in other people's lives. Right. Um, I always, I've always believed that, that life is short. And at the end of it all, there's nothing that you can take with you. So why not focus on the things that you can leave behind and the things of eternal significance, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, Because at the end of the day, that's the only thing that matters when you're gone. Uh Um, And in a big way, I think that that passion and some divine intervention for sure uh, ultimately led me to OSI. Uh Um, Growing up, I wanted to be a pilot. (laughs) <laughs> um, you know, uh, right. fancy that, right. Joining the air force and, uh, you know, my dad, uh, we didn't grow up with, with a lot of money and, uh, but you know, my parents always found ways of, 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 of making family time. Right. And I remember after church on Sundays, we would pass by some Dunkin' Donuts and we would go to the uh, flight line at Miami airport and we'd just uh-huh. watch planes land and take off. Right. And I'm like, man, that is cool. Like, I want to fly planes one day. And fast forward, I was in uh, middle school, I think we went to an air show and then uh, I got to see some some air power at work. Yeah. And I'm like, and those are the type of planes that I want to fly. Right. Um, Right. And that kind of drove everything that that drove my decisions to join JROTC in high school. Uh, That drove me wanting to go to a military school and and go into Texas Uh A&M. and I knew what I wanted to do, but I had no idea how to get there. Right, um, right. I didn't have the access to Google that we have now to kind of how do I become a pilot in the Air Force. Right. Um, and where I grew up, we didn't have a lot of mentors that had paid that way before. So I was kind of trying to figure it out on my own. Right. right. And uh, to make a long story short, lack of some mentorship and, and really not knowing how to do this. Um, you know, I, I got to, to A&M and they said, Hey, you have to go take this air force qualifying test, the AFOQT so that we can give you some money for some uniforms and reimburse you. So I'm like, right. just Christmas treated. I didn't know what that was, <laughs> you know, and fast yeah. forward to my junior year. They're like, Hey, okay. Who wants to commission? I'm like, yeah, I want a commission. Right. Yeah. Um, because not everybody that goes to Texas A&M ends up commissioning while Texas A&M commissions the most officers. Uh, outside of the, uh, the, the, the service academies, uh-huh. only a smart, small portion uh, actually end up commissioning. So I said, yep, I, I'll commission. So I said, well, you have to take the say, you have to pass the AFOQT test. I'm like, oh, that uh-huh. thing matters. Okay. So I took the AFOQT test, you know, twice, which by the way, you're only allowed to take it twice. Here's that okay. divine intervention. 
Yeah. Uh, and uh, I miss, you know, English is a second language to me. And I missed the verbal score by uh, uh, one point. Wow. And so uh, they're like, hey, you know, we're going to send you to field training. And if you do good, we might be able to convince the Air Force to like you take it a third time. Took it a third time after studying. And when I got the one point. Right. Wow. So I got to commission and um, third time's say, a charm, third time's a charm, you yeah. know? And so I was in my senior year and they said, okay, well, let's, uh, I went up to my colonel and said, Hey, okay, let's talk about this pilot slot. How do I, how do I become a pilot? Like I passed this test that you said I needed to pass. And you said it didn't take too much weight until whether or not I get a pilot slot. And they're like, well, let's take a look at how you scored on the pilot in NAV. And like, whoa, like, I didn't know that that mattered. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it doesn't carry a lot of weight, but you do have to have the minimum scores. Well, I missed it by five points on the pilot and the nav. Wow. And uh, I could not afford taking it again and then yeah. not passing it at all and uh-huh. then not commissioning. Sure. So I was at a crossroads of, well, what am I going to be when I grow up? And uh, I had heard about OSI in field training. You know, they came in with their glasses and the suits and said that I needed a 3.5 GPA in like political science or foreign affairs. Yeah. I'm like, that sounds super cool, but I've got a 2.9 GPA in basket weaving. There's no <laughs> way that, that they're going to want me. Right. Yeah. And uh, my colonel asked me, oh, hey, what do you want to do? And I'm like, well, I, I like making a positive impact in people's lives. I would go be a training instructor or an MTI, but I, I can't do that because I'm going to be an officer. Correct. So I was trying to figure out what I want to do, Wayne. And uh, two of my buddies in the Corps were OSI. I feel bad. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> OSI was wanted was what they wanted to do. Yeah. And they had done the, the internship with OSI down in uh at Randolph Air Force Base in Texas. And, right. you know, they'd been with OSI for about two weeks. And, and, and so they were gearing up to go do a, an interview with the commander. And they said, hey, do you want to come to the interview? And I'm, I'm like, well, like, they don't know me. I haven't done the internship. It sounds like a super cool job, but I'm just not what they're looking for. Yeah. But at this point, like, what do I got to lose, you know? Sure, sure. And so I went to Men's Warehouse and uh, I bought a blazer. <laughs> And a pair of slacks, you know, uh, which that was all my money that I had for the two months <laughs> as a college student. And uh, I went to the interview and, uh, you know, the, the rest is, is history. Yeah. Out of the three of us yeah. that went into the interview, uh, I got the slot. Fantastic. Um, and so the other my other two buddies weren't too, too, too happy um, with that. Uh, but, uh, you know, fast forward, I mean, gosh, from there, I've been yeah. with the OSI for 15 years, active duty. Yeah. And then, so about 17 years later, uh, here I am on a podcast with you telling them about my journey in the OSI. Wow. Uh, when you, when you began, uh, uh, your career in OSI, were there any specific challenges that you faced that, uh, you had to overcome to, uh, you know, make it all happen at the beginning for you? Oh yeah. Uh, I would say, you know, my biggest challenge, um, was finding my place as a young officer. Uh-huh. Um, you know, having gone through, uh, the Corps of cadets and the, and the military, uh, schoolhouse, um, kind of environment, right. It's very structured. Right. Um, and it, it, you quickly get ingrained and anybody that's gone through any of the service academies or the Citadel or Texas A&M or, um, know that you know you, you get ingrained into hey you're you're an officer there's the officers and there's the enlisted and never shall the two co-mingle right, right? 
Yeah. Um, and there's a very hard line in the sand about, you know, the, the fraternization or, you know, uh, spending time outside of work together, you know. Uh-huh. And in certain career fields, when you come into OSI or to the Air Force or to the military, it, it's very salient, right? And, yeah. and oh, in, the Air, in the Air Force, for example, when you come into a security forces squadron as a young lieutenant, right? Like you're put in charge and you got this group of enlisted folks uh, that work with for you. Right. Uh, but in OSI, that's not the case. Um, I came into OSI, and other than uh, my commander, I was the only other officer. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, and so all of my peers were enlisted, and we right. were all probies together. Right. And if you can imagine, you know, uh, at the age of 22, I'm in California. All of my family is in Florida. I don't know anybody out in California. I'm by myself. Right. I don't have any, you know, support system, if you will. Uh-huh. My only nucleus of people are my enlisted, you know, peers. Yeah. Like, what do I do yeah. on a Friday night? You know what I mean? Sure. And sure. so, so it was difficult for me navigating that in, in that if I had some challenges or some concerns, like, do I go to the enlisted folks that, that work with me to complain? Cause I always heard you don't do that. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to go to my boss because my boss at the time was a Lieutenant Colonel. Uh-huh. I'm a Lieutenant. I don't want to seem incompetent. Um, right. And so kind of finding my place um, as an officer was, a, was a little bit difficult for me. You know, but the way that I that I overcame that uh, was with just some really good mentorship. You know, yeah, I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm always uh, I've always believed that if I'm where I am today, it's not because I've done anything extraordinary. Right. I was right. telling you before we started, I haven't saved any babies from burning fires. You know, <laughs> I, I haven't caught, you know, like a super spy or, right. or anything crazy. Um, and, and definitely haven't done, you know, any of the, the other heroic things that some of our, our, our awesome agents have done, like in a deployed environment. Right. But if I've made it where I am today, it's because I've had just some really good mentorship from senior NCOs. And it was the senior NCOs that pulled me under the wing and gave me their advice on, like, hey, listen, you know, this is how you navigate this. And this is, you know, it's okay to come out and kind of hang out with us and then kind of just you know, break off when you think that you need to, or, you know, Hey, you know, you're coming off a little too strong, you know, just peel it back a little bit. And so um, it was that good senior NCO mentorship that helped me find my place uh, as a young officer and then just continue to grow me throughout, you know, my last 15 years with OSI. Well, that certainly uh, ties in directly to the next question is uh, who or what inspires you to do your best in OSI? It sounds like that mentorship uh, really was the the, the fuel that you needed uh, as a young officer to uh, uh, become who you are today. Oh, oh, yeah. You know, so what inspires me to do my best in OSI? I would say the people, hands down. Yeah. Um, the people in OSI is what inspire me, inspires me to do my best, um, from up and down the chain of command, um, up the chain of command is the, the level of trust that, um, um, my bosses have put on me. Right. Um, it, it, it always, that motivates me to do my best. Um, the family environment that OSI creates inspires me to do my best. Again, it's people, uh-huh. you know, the fact that I've got uh, both peers, subordinates and, and supervisors that care about my well-being, yeah. that, you know, are interested in my family life and what I've got going on. It makes me not want to let them down. 
right? right. Um, and the people that I have the pleasure of serving, uh, you know, I see, I see uh, like my, my staff and how much, how hard they work on our AST side of the house. I see right. how they, they are ready on a moment's notice to get on a plane and within, you know, 48 hours be on the other side of the world to help with a lot of the situations that we've yeah. got going on today sure. on our PSO side of the house. I mean, they're, they're, they're canceling date nights and, and, and missing birthdays yeah. because they're out there protecting the senior leaders of our organization. Um, that inspires me. Right. right. And that, yeah. that inspires me to, to give my best to, to be the best that I can be because I, I believe that they deserve nothing less than me. Sure. Has, has, Colonel, has, has that been the most gratifying part for you in your job with OSI? Yeah. You know, I'll tell you the, the most, there are several things. I, it's hard to find like the one thing that I would yeah, say is the most yeah. gratifying part. Sure. Um, I, I think one of the most gratifying parts have been the friendships and the relationships that I've made along the way. Uh-huh. Um, I, you know, I've been in some foxholes with some people and had an opportunity to live some, some challenging situations. Right. And uh, a lot of my closest friends today uh, and that of my wife as well, that that's been in this journey with me um, uh-huh. is the friendships that we've made along the way. Yeah. Uh, the level of trust and autonomy, you know um, it, it's hard to put into words um, the amount of weight and trust that are, that we put on our very young agents um, to go out there and execute the mission. I remember as a lieutenant, you know, I was in pick a place around the world, yeah. um, you know, and it was just me, you know, I'm like 23 year old, you know, lieutenant here. Yeah. Here's an 06 who is relying on me to have uh, vital information to give him advice on the best way to protect his, um, his troops. But, yeah. uh, and, and the last thing that I would say is, is probably the most gratifying Going back to my initial point about kind of what motivates me and what what makes me um, tick, right, or kind of why why right. I ended up joining OSI right. is the positive impact that we have in other people's lives. Um, you know, both those that we serve and those who we serve with, as well as our national security impact that we have on a day to day basis. It sounds like um, that's really been tangible for you, Colonel. Yeah, you know. Uh, um, I, I get bored easily, Wayne. I, I really do, you know, and uh, I can tell you that I haven't been bored with OSI in 15 years. Just about when I kind of figure out what it is that I'm doing, yeah. I've been tapped on the shoulder and, and have an opportunity to go do something completely different. Right. Um, but it's always been impactful, whether it's, you know, a crim case where I got to uh, put someone behind bars that had done some really heinous and horrible things. Yeah. Or, you know, clearing a member of wrongdoing or running counterintelligence to force protection operations in areas that I never in a million years thought that I would go to and do. Yeah. Um, yeah. To operating in Iraq or Korea. Uh, OSI has uh, such a wide reach when it comes to the impact that we have on national security and just protecting um, uh, people in general. Right. That it, right. it really has been an awesome experience. Sounds like it sure has. No doubt about that. Now, uh, recognize that in hindsight, it's always 2020, Colonel. If you could do it all over again, is there anything that you would change about your OSI career so far? No, I wouldn't change one thing. 
Okay. You know, I, the other day, um, um, I heard one of our chiefs and, and, and then afterwards I said, Hey, you know, wh- where did this come from? And he's like, yeah, you know, this was uh, chief burn Flint's comment that, um, former command chief, former command chief for right. OSI, you know, to where, uh, she, she mentioned that, you know, if you're not uncomfortable, you're not growing. Right. 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 And so that really sat with me because man, I've been uncomfortable in a lot of <laughs> throughout my career, you know, when I first started, you know, we all start doing criminal investigations in OSI, right? right? For the most part, some of us get to go through some other things. Yeah. But by and large, a lot of us start, you know, grassroots crim cases. And I remember, you know, I ran my first six months trying to figure all this stuff out. I finally got to a point where, like, I knew what I was doing. I can, like, run my cases and I knew how to input it into the system called I2MS yeah. and all this stuff. And then my boss taps me in the shoulder and says, hey, Jose, uh, I need you to go be the counterintelligence branch chief. I said, sir, the only way that I know how to spell counterintelligence is a two-letter abbreviation of CI. <laughs> like, I have, and, and you want me to go lead a team of, like, four, right. four to five airmen. It's like, oh, you'll figure it out. Um, and I was like, all right, you know, and it's been like that from one assignment, uh, to the next. And, but with every opportunity that, uh, that I've had, I've grown, I've learned it's, it's molded me into a a better person. Uh, I think, um, hopefully a a better leader, um, and really has opened my eyes into the, the breath that it is, that, that is OSI. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't change one thing. Right. Now, you mentioned, uh, you know, you open your eyes to the breadth of, uh, you know, the umbrella that is OSI. What direction do you envision uh, OSI going into the future? You know, that's a really good question. Um, you know, uh, if you've read the interim national security strategy that the President Biden put out, it mentions in there that that our world is, how does he put it, that our world is in a an inflection point. Uh-huh. And he underscores that by with the need for us to face tomorrow's challenges from a position of strength. Right. Meaning that in order to maintain our national security posture and to continue to enjoy the American dream of freedom and democracy that we hold dear. Um, and it's the cornerstone of, of our country. Right. In an ever-increasing competition space, that we must be postured to meet these challenges head-on. Sure. And to this end, I think that that OSI strategy and building the OSI we need is is absolutely vital, and and has the right site picture for what OSI is going to look like or needs to look like in the future. Yeah. Um, you know, as a demand for a robust counterintelligence force to protect our most sensitive technologies increases, as well as the ever-changing landscape and sophistication of cyber threat actors yeah. uh, and the need to be an agile and combat-ready force in this competition continuum that we find ourselves today, very different than, than what we've been doing for the past 20 years. Right. Right. We have to ensure that we recruit, we develop, we retain uh, the best talent throughout our OSI family, uh, but that we also continue to build, maintain, and modernize critical capabilities 
as well as strengthening our strategic partnerships sure. uh, to ensure that the OSI we need uh, comes to be, right? Yeah. Uh, to meet to the, the OSI that we need to meet today's and tomorrow's challenges right. is a reality. Um, and so I think that the, the current strategy that the command has in building that OSI that we need to be in that position of strength that the president has called us to be in is absolutely spot on. Right. Um, and I think that when we look at where we're going as a command and what we're doing um, and some of the things that we've been able to do um, and the strength that we will be at and some of the capabilities that we're growing, uh, we're spot on to continue to be a relevant force uh, an investigative agency, a relevant counterintelligence agency, they'll be ready to meet uh, the department's challenges head on. Right, right. Now, uh, you alluded to this earlier, Colonel, about uh, diversity and inclusion. Uh, why, in your view, is uh, diversity and inclusion uh, foundational to the success of OSI? I mean, we could talk for diversity and inclusion for an entire podcast, right? right? As right. to uh, <laughs> as to why I think that's important. Well, kind of give us your broad, um, your broad brush perspective of that. But so I think it's vitally important because it makes us better as 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 a whole. Uh-huh. Um, it makes us a better organization, um, and it helps us meet our goals, right? Of of the future. Right. I grew up in, uh, you know, I was telling you earlier, I grew up in Miami yeah. and uh, and I'm Hispanic, right? I'm Latino, born in Costa Rica. Uh, parents immigrated here, you know, when I was five. Uh-huh. Um, Spanish is my first language. Um, and uh, growing up in Miami, Miami is a huge melting pot. I mean, yeah. I had friends from everywhere that you can think of. I had Latin friends, African-American friends. I had, you know, Asian-American friends. Um, And key to that is that you hear something and then you hear American, something and you hear American. We're we're all Americans, despite where we come from, what our backgrounds are. And, and, and I think that makes us unique. And because of that, uh, we, the diversity of thought, is what I believe helps us to move forward. It helps us to not look at things through a, a single scoped lens. Right. Um, I think iron sharpens iron and that diversity and inclusion within our force is absolutely vital um, uh-huh. for us to be able to execute our mission. Um, and I think that it's yeah. something to, to be proud of. And I think it's something that we should continue to strive for. Very well said. Uh, Colonel Moon, uh, put your recruiting hat on for just a little bit now, because you mentioned the word recruiting early on in the podcast. Uh, what advice would you give someone uh, who would like to join OSI? Man, so, yeah, someone that would like to join OSI, what advice? I think if you're, if you're out there and you're listening, you're like, man, you know, I wonder if this OSI thing is for me. Um, I would say you don't have to be perfect to come join this organization. Uh Um, you know, I've made a lot of mistakes throughout, uh, my career and I've had, I have been fortunate enough to have great leaders who have not beat me up because of my mistakes, but ensured that I I grew from them, that I learned from them and that I became better, right. Because of that. Um, so I would say that, you know, if, if folks are looking for a rewarding mission or, or, opportunity with a wide variety of mission sets 
um, yeah. with significant impact and opportunities to travel the world. Um, right. I mean, I've been to over probably at this point, last time I did some numbers were 45, 46 different countries. Wow. You can start your own tour agency. <laughs> you, could start, you know, and it's funny enough because I, I mentioned that my degree was in basket weaving, but it's actually in tourism. Oh, uh, wow. In tourism okay. marketing, okay. you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. I figured if I got injured, I can definitely go run a hotel somewhere for the rest of my life <laughs> and I'll be, I'll be happy with it. There you go. Uh, you know, but as someone that's looking for a variety of mission sets with significant impacts and opportunity to travel and see the world, OSI is definitely it, you know, uh, one of the things that I tell people that's unique about OSI is that if you come to the Air Force and you come to be a maintainer for and that's what you're going to do for 20 years, you are yeah. going to make sure that our planes are working. Right. You know, if you come in and you're going to be, you know, pick another uh, uh, AFSC writer job, whatever that right. job is that you come into the Air Force, unless you decide you're going to cross train and go do something else. Right. That is what you're going to do. But in OSI. I think we're one of the few, if not the only uh, organization, and maybe I'm a little bit biased on this one. Um, uh-huh. I know Ms. Dixon would appreciate that. Shout out to the to our biases, but uh, <laughs> uh, I recognize it. Um, you know, we've got everything from crim, counterintelligence, cyber, uh, polygraph, forensic scientists. I mean, you pick your 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 gamut of law enforcement and counterintelligence activities. We have it. Sure. Um, and so, uh, you know, you can find your niche, uh, you know, within the organization and be, right. have an opportunity to grow. I would say that uh, if someone is looking for a family oriented organization um, that is also a premier law enforcement and counterintelligence agency respected throughout the, the law enforcement community, both military and non uh, military and throughout the intelligence community uh, and that. If you're not afraid to roll up your sleeves and put in the hard work, right? Come to OSI, and, right. and uh, hopefully, 15 years down the road, you'll be in a podcast, um, <laughs> you know, uh, talking about your experience and how awesome it's been. Very, very well said. Uh, now, before we wrap it up, Colonel, uh, is there anything else you'd like to add? No, Wayne. You know, uh, I just want to say thank you for the opportunity. Uh, this has been uh, awesome. Um, you know, having an opportunity to share, share my background and story and, and kind of what has led me to where I am today. Um, it, it's a great opportunity. So I just want to say thank you. Um, and to anybody that's out there that's uh, listening, you know, whether uh, you're just in the service or uh, within OSI, just want to say thank you for all the sacrifices uh, that you make on a daily basis um, in service to your country, uh, and to your fellow servicemen. Our guest is, I'm sorry, sir. We had another thing to add. Go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you there for a second. Nope. No, you're good, Wayne. (laughs) Okay. Uh, our guest has been the commander of the first field investigation squadron, Lieutenant Colonel Jose Marin. Sir, thanks again for taking the time to be with us. It was always, it's always great to talk to you. I really appreciate you taking the time today. Thank you, Wayne. And thanks to all of you listening for tuning in. For OSI Today, my OSI journey, I'm Wayne Amon saying so long for now.